You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show, the final show of 2021. It's Friday, December the 31st. It's uh, an unusually warm day here in TW11, around 15 or 16 degrees Celsius here. A little bit wet, uh, not as damp as it is in Dubai, where it's absolutely tanking down, nor indeed on the west coast of the United States, where it's unseasonably cold and wet. So actually, I think we might have the best of the deal. Very much a global feel to the back end of today's show as James Willoughby dishes out his awards, the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings Awards for 2021. So an extended special edition of the rankings this Friday, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, More immediately, I'll be talking to the man who owns and spent quite a lot of money on the hero of yesterday's racing from Haydock Park. That hero was Black Lion, that owner with his wife Annalie is Darren Yates uh, looking forward to hearing his thoughts on whether a horse now rising 13 can achieve the aim for which he was bought a few years ago victory in the Grand National in April be discussing some of the highlights of the Christmas period with Rishi in a moment also be hearing from Dale Gibson the interim chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association following the resignation of Paul Struthers immediately in his intray he's got an, a knotty little problem because as of Wednesday Rishi there will be new Covid protocols to take stock of just to tell me a little bit more so starting on Wednesday uh, all attendees uh, heading to the weighing room will have to provide a negative lateral flow test. Um, Small concern, because of course, lateral flow tests are a bit of an issue nationally at the moment. Um, I think there was a loan of 4 million lateral flow tests from Wales to England just recently. So it suggests, as Sajid Javid has said himself, that there is uh, a certain amount of constraint when it comes to trying to find lateral flow tests. Even members of the NHS who have to provide lateral flow tests, negative lateral flow tests, are saying that they are struggling to get it themselves. Um, so it is a bit of concern. Um, I think over the first few days of the test coming into play, there are three meetings in, in the UK. Uh, but of course, on a busy day like a Saturday, uh, the first Saturday in January, um, then we're looking or you know, the, the 8th of January or whatever it is I think you're looking at six meetings six or seven meetings which obviously then puts a little bit more demand so it's a little bit of a concern I can understand why it's been brought in get ahead of the game and, and, and ensure that everyone who comes into the uh, weighing room area the, 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 the participants um, are, are free of COVID um, but given the fact that there are issues in, in a- actually obtaining the lateral flow tests at the moment, um, that's a little bit of a concern. Although Sajid Javid has said that hopefully within a couple of weeks' time, things will be better in that respect. So um, one for the New Year intray for the interim chief executive of the PJA, uh, Dale Gibson. Uh, Dale, thanks for, for joining me this morning. Uh, you've got until Wednesday to make sure that the jockeys can get uh, enough lateral flow tests to them, given the national shortage. Is that going to be an issue for you? 
Uh, it, it could well be, but first and foremost, Nick, uh, we have to pay tribute to Jerry Hill and his team for for a, a remarkable amount of work and uh, and resilience in keeping the show on the road for for racing the participants, the welfare of the participants, particularly around the weighing room area. Since we resumed racing on the flats at June 2020 and National Hunt July 2020, uh, been in a remarkable achievement, and he's always managed to be one step ahead of this dreadful pandemic. Um, and he's obviously trying to remain one step ahead of the dreadful pandemic by by uh, what he's proposing. The issue, as you say, is the acute shortage in many places of the lateral flow tests. Um, the vast majority of the riders are double jabbed, um, just as you know the majority of the country are double jabbed. But the lateral flow test is what Jerry and his team are, are hoping to push through. Um, and I think they could well be an option. Uh, if if Wednesday is start date, um, the difficulty is we've got a long bank holiday weekend, bank holiday Monday, when uh, jockeys will be declared for their rides at the three meetings on Wednesday. And uh, it could well be there's another option which is being um, discussed um, today. Hopefully we can then get messages out to all the professional riders and indeed amateurs who will also be affected. So it will be everyone in that weighing room, Nick, um, who uh, will be needing a lateral flow test negative on the day of racing uh, to participate at that given venue. Okay, so you just need to make sure that there are enough lateral flow tests to go around and that, that you... Absolutely, because, you know, I've, I've said on many occasions um, in the last 24, uh, 36 hours that, um, you know, however that is, whether they are um, at, the, at, the, at the venue, I think there might be, might be some technical issues with that um, at the actual race course themselves. Um, but the, uh, the, the issue is actually the, the capacity of them. Um, we know that you, it's relatively quick to do a lateral flow test, um, relatively quick to upload um, to the uh, NHS app, um, and, and, and the teams are very keen to, to keep the job going. This will include valets as well, Nick. We've got to remember how important valets are. They're leaving earlier in the morning than the jockeys are. Obviously, they're taking the kit all around the country. They're getting to the race meetings an hour and a half, sometimes two hours before the first. So they're involved as well. Um, but I think this today is quite crucial uh, as to whether the fifth is start date or whether that's pushed back or whether there's another option uh, which is discussed uh, as we speak. But what's the other option? Well, uh, it's 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 just a, a combination of, um, of, of of different possibilities. Whether that's pushing the date back, um, private testing. Um, there's a number of options on the table, Nick. Um, and uh, I can assure you. <laughs> I've been working with Jerry on this for uh, the last couple of days and it's literally been um, a, a, an all-day job going well into the night and obviously taking calls, quite rightly so, off, off the riders and ballots. Um, but it's something I'm going to continue to work on with Jerry and the racecourses and uh, other prominent members of the BHA throughout today. Any idea how many jockeys are fully vaccinated, Dale? Um, I haven't got that exact figure, but it's a very, very high number, Nick. Um, we don't have access to that, um, but um, it's, a, it's a very high number, um, a, higher, a higher number than in the general population. So, Ah, right, OK, so you're not envisaging any undue issues in that regard? Uh, well, I'm not a medical expert, um, um, far from it, but um, so far, so good, Nick. Um, and as, as I said a minute or two ago, the jockeys have been absolutely magnificent throughout this pandemic. I cannot tell you what they've had to put up with, with um, changes to the weighing room environment, temporary facilities, 
Um, you know, we've, we've been quite lucky with the winter weather so far, but we're bound to get a cold spell in January, February, and a number of temporary facilities are just that. They are temporary. And now is, uh, uh, is the absolute uppermost important to keep everybody spread out, um, to give everybody as, as much of an opportunity to uh, uh, have a reasonable working environment within that uh, weighing room setup. Um, and obviously that includes valets, includes BHA staff, it includes the whole shebang, um, you know, the clerks, the scales, stewards, everybody. So it's a, it's a bigger number of people in that area, Nick, than maybe uh, some people would think. It, it, you can't, quite often you can have 40, 45 individual jockeys at a national hunt meeting plus the staff, plus the ballots, plus other people, that, that number can add up into the, into the mid-50s. So it's quite a number of people in that working environment. Uh, Dale Gibson there, interim uh, chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association, with a tricky one for the new year. We may not have to wait too deep into the new year, Rishi, to see one of the most eagerly awaited clashes of steeplechases anywhere uh, on the planet. An argument for Willie Mullins versus Shishkin for Nicky Henderson. It looks like it could be on in the Clarence House chase at Ascot a couple of weeks from now. How would you bet? Personally, I would have Shishkin as the favourite, Lucky. Um, I think he's achieved a little bit more than Inergamen so far. Um, I think his victory in the Supreme Novices Hurdle is an outstanding bit of form. When you look through the beaten horses, um, there's Abracadabra as a steering for Longe. I think Edwardstone was back in sixth. It was a good call. When isn't the, the Supreme Novice a, a, a top-class race? So I would have him slightly ahead of the game, I'm sure, as Nicky Henderson said, and uh, many paddock watchers and uh, better paddock observers than I would have seen when he returned at Kempton. There's more to come. Um, and I just think he's actually achieved that tiny little bit more. I know Energoman's put up some incredible performances on the clock and he's looked very good. Um, but I just think Shishkin's achieved just that tiny little bit more. And I think we still haven't seen the best of both horses, which is the beauty, the uncertainty of when they do clash, because they've already achieved a significant amount already. I think one's, Energoman might be, I think he's rated 171 and Shishkin's 169. Um, but I don't think... Uh, there's very little between them. Uh, I wouldn't be having a bet in a race, but I'd take the chance that Shishkin might just be, uh, at this stage anyway, I think he might just beat him, but um, it, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, basically, when they run, I want to see it, and I want to have a, sm- a slight view that Shishkin might might beat him. Yeah, I, I think I think Shishkin is the, the better horse on what I've seen so far. Uh, the other point I would I would note is that an Eggerman had a, a really hard race on his on his comeback. Uh, and that uh, you, we've seen so often with these these top class grade one horses, mm. it's very difficult for them, however respectively they might run next time, to back up a huge effort with another huge effort. Indeed, I guess if they both turn up for the Clarence House at Ascot, then at least Energoman's got a few extra weeks to have recovered from the race. Whereas Shishkin, uh, I think Nicky Henderson pointed it out after he won the Desert Orchid that the Clarence House or the Game Spirit. Game Spirit a bit closer to Chop and the Clarence House is quite close to the Kempton race. So there was a, a bit of umming and ahhing about which race to go for. So at least the Nergaman has that small advantage in comparison to that. But yeah, he did have a hard race um, when he came back in the Hilly Way. But it's Willie Mullins. You know, I'm pretty certain he, he'll be good at uh, freshening him up for his next run. Well, there wasn't a grade one in the UK yesterday, but there was a, a performance to really warm the heart at Haydock Park. And that came from from Black Lion, who is now a 12-year-old, but is showing no signs of stopping. Of course, he'll be 13 tomorrow. He beat the two Amigos last year's Welsh national runner-up by 28 lengths. And it was a 
a, a wonderful performance. He's owned by Darren Yates, so Darren and Annalee Yates, who bought the horse uh, a couple of years ago with the intention of, of running in the Grand National. It didn't quite come off at the time, but he did run in the Grand National in 2021 and finish a very respectable sixth. And the dreams, I suppose, are still alive. Darren's invested a lot of money into the sport with mixed reward over the last few years and joins me now. Uh, Darren, in terms of your career as a, a racehorse owner and the time you spent following the game, betting on the game. Where does yesterday rank on a horrible, grim, grisly day at Haydock Park? Um, if we put the gambling to one side, I would say I would say it's probably my best day in racing, um, just because the horse is just so special. Um, yeah. And why has this horse developed such a, a special place in your heart y- yes you had to give quite a lot of money for him at the time he was already an established horse but why to you has, it, has he been has he been so important well he's always been a horse I loved and then when I got the chance to buy him I know he was I think he was a 10 year old when I bought him and I offered 200 grand and they said no and they said um, I think they came back to me and said we won't sell him for a penny less than 300 so I slept on it and obviously bought him. Uh, we're getting him ready for the national, which I thought, still think to this day, he'd gone very close. Uh, got injured. Uh, we thought he was done. Um, moved him from Phil's uh, to Dan's, and um, we still didn't know if we were going to get him back. Dan got him back for Ascot. He had a bad injury at Ascot. We thought he was finished. So all these are the things about the horse that just make him so incredible. And then Dan said to me, we're going to rush him back. We're going to get two runs. And I promise you, we'll get him into the national with a bit of a chance. He said, or we'll have to retire him. I said, okay, so let's go for it. We got there. Uh, we got him in one piece. He finished sixth, which even to this day, I think is absolutely amazing. Because if you watch the race, something fell, I think, at the first in front of him and he was stolen last. It's just gone on from there, really, and I was very, very confident that this, even at his age, would be a great year for him, provided he stayed injury-free. And he just... He's an incredible horse, because when you see him in the paddock, he looks like a pony. He just doesn't knock your eye out, but boy, does he jump. He's just... And his enthusiasm at home, Dan says, every morning, he just wants to do it, wants to do it. He's a horse, you'd have to retire him. I don't think he'd ever retire so he's just clearly very unusual, and 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 you know, as you say, you you gave a lot of money for him at the time, and and not for the first time, people were saying this Darren Yates guy is completely bonkers. What's he doing, spending all that money? Um, d- did it bother you or not? Um, I've got pretty thick skin, and I'm used to um, people having a go at me. Um, did it bother me? It niggles away at you a little bit, but uh, like I said, it's my money. I've made it myself. You know, I can spend it on what I want, and it's starting now. You know, we had a bad, a bad start, but things are things are really turning now. Uh, so, um, did it bother me a little bit? And you, you say you're saying the things are turning, and I, I did. It just really strike me when I watched him win yesterday. I thought, I, I wonder if yeah, there's one final chapter in this in this story, and 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 whether Darren's going to have. Well, the last laugh after a, after a fashion. Is that entry dream still on, do you think? Is it still alive, even as a, as a rising 13-year-old? Like I said, um, he ran in it last year, and when a horse is 12 or 13, 
providing they've still got the enthusiasm, a year it doesn't make any difference when you're looking at horse that age. And last year, he was Dan got him there in reasonable shape. This year, if I think the handicap will, will put him up enough to get in. The big thing for this horse, like I said, everybody thinks he doesn't quite stay. He does, but he needs soft ground. It's a weird one, but conversely, when they go slow on very, very soft ground, he just loves it. So if he gets in near the bottom, you know, 10 stone 2, 10 stone 3, and it is soft, heavy ground, he will want, I don't care what anybody says, they can all laugh out there, he will want a hell of a lot of beating. But he is, it is very important, the ground, that's the only thing that worries me. Darren Yates there, and Black Lions win yesterday, Rishi, a real highlight for me over the festive period, even if it wasn't the most high-profile race. Uh, what about for you? Well, there were, there were two performances that stood out for me, Lucky. One was, uh, my goodness, how good might this horse be over fences, and that was Gallop and Deschamps, uh, who produced one of the most sensational first runs over fences that I've ever seen. I mean, he looked absolutely majestic all the way around. Obviously, form-wise, there's a long way between that and going on to be a superstar over fences. But my goodness, he did absolutely everything right. And so professional already. Um, so I was taken significantly away by how, how impressive he was uh, through that race. And of course, he's already a Cheltenham Festival winner uh, over hurdles. So this remainder of the season for Gallup and Deschamps is exciting. But one other performance that stood out for me on a, a slightly more personal, emotional level, just because I love the horse, uh, you had the pleasure of being at uh, Newbury uh, on Cello Hurdle Day and watched uh, or Drasher do his thing from the front. It's, it's everything that we love about horse racing, everything we love about jumps racing. And I absolutely loved every moment of watching him go about his job again back over hurdles i think for the first time in a, in a couple of years and that was just a magnificent front running performance um certainly one of my highlights of the christmas period dashwell drasher yeah dashwell drasher was wonderful yesterday on this podcast uh, francis graffard paid a, a very erudite as you do expect tribute to his former mm. boss and mentor alain de roy dupre whose uh, career came to a close this week um rishi I, I wonder whether in, in Britain and Ireland we are giving this French-based trainer enough credit for his achievements. I, you, could, you could put his career right up there with a Sir Michael Stout or, or, or a John Gosden. Absolutely. I think what makes trainers great nowadays is the ability to cross different frontiers, the ability to... I mean, we talk about Charlie Appleby, for example, and the fact that not only he's excellent domestically, but... His success internationally is outstanding. And bear in mind that Alain de Roy-Dupre has been doing the job for such a long time and has been conquering different frontiers for a long time. A British Cup turf winner back in the 80s, a Melbourne Cup winner, plus obviously his excellent domestic record with the likes of Dalakani and Zarkova. Uh, an outstanding trainer and a wonderful person to deal with. I have to say, uh, he came from a show jumping eventing background on a personal level. Like I had, I've had the pleasure to interview him a few times. He's always extremely polite and engaging and you can ask him anything. And he's happy to chat about a number of topics. Um, I certainly enjoyed the times that I was able to, to converse with him. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the greats. And it is our great good fortune this year that New Year's Eve should fall on a Friday, which means not only can we have a TRC Global Rankings update, we can have 
the TRC Global Rankings 2021 Recap Awards, Chindig, call it what you like, James Willoughby. Uh, this is the point where we say who's done best, who's ranked best, horse, jockey, trainer, sire, race of 2021. So I'm thoroughly looking forward to this, James. Should we start with trainer of the year? Who is trainer of the year for, for Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings? Well, this was a very easy one. And of course, it's Charlie Appleby, who has had an amazing season for Godolphin and has developed into the kind of trainer that really I'm sure they couldn't have even dreamed about a few years ago. He's impressed everybody in the world, hasn't he? With his deadly accuracy in these good races and his ability to bring these middle distance horses through as if he's been training horses 25, 30 years. He's developed a very sure touch, hasn't he? And he instills a great deal of confidence in everybody that watches him. Do you think that this is finally the moment when people think Charlie Appleby is actually a good trainer of racehorses? I know that sounds a very obvious question and a very obvious remark, but consider this. Even when John Magna and the Coolmore Associates were piling the choicest bred horses in the world into a young Aidan O'Brien, people were quite willing to believe from an early stage that because of Magna's foresight, O'Brien was, therefore, a genius, and that word was bandied around all the time. Almost nobody has ever called Charlie Appleby a genius, merely surmising that, well, he's got all this wonderful bloodstock at his disposal. Frankly, anybody whose name was on the license could, could train it. D- do you think the world is now starting to rethink their position there? Uh, as usual, uh, Nick, you've found that this is a real hot-button topic of mine. Uh, yes, I, I completely agree with you. And I think there's been a massive amount of snobbery directed in Charlie Appleby's direction. Um, As much as the way he comports himself is, he's not one of those trainers that carries his head on one side and muses about things. And Neither is he a man inclined to make training any more difficult than it really is. And I think for that reason, probably people have thought, here's a guy that he's not particularly mercurial. He doesn't kind of wear the the appearance of some kind of a genius. But there aren't any geniuses in horse racing, is the truth of the matter. Charlie Appleby is simply an extremely efficient trainer who really thoroughly knows what he's doing with horses. I think one of the keys is that Dubawi, the the sire who produces most of the top-notch Godolphin stock, I think that there are trainers who find keys to particular sires, like Aidan O'Brien and Galileo. And I think you could look at, actually, Look at Aidan O'Brien's training of horses, the way now that he, he runs horses so often and runs them so early. That really suits the way that Galileo's develop. doesn't necessarily suit the way that the stock of other sides develops so much. And so I think what Charlie Appleby's done that's almost even better than that is that he's been able to tailor his training of horses to the way they're bred, to their particular characteristics, rather than adopting a one-size-fits-all approach. I think he's an absolute master, and I think it needs recognising. Okay, by by our standards, by the standards of our Friday chats, that was somewhat subjective stuff. Um, in terms of why the data has put Charlie Appleby where he is, let's let's try and let's try and analyze that. Where are the where are the margins? Where are his where are his gains being being earned over his rivals? Right. What makes our rankings different is that we blend together volume and efficiency. Traditionally, volume is all that counts in horse racing. So trainers are referred to as having sent out 19 Group 1 winners. Or, But what we do is we look at 
the combination of the volume of statistics, how difficult it is to achieve them. So, for example, in some trainer, in some countries, a trainer may, may have complete hegemony over the, the environment, and it's not that difficult to send out uh, a lot of group one win. I think particularly of, say, Chad Brown on the East Coast of America in turf races, say, for example. You have to weight his, uh, his uh, data uh, down a bit to meet some of the European trainers who don't have the same advantages. Uh, and it, it, then you have to kind of use math to kind of work out what the probability of a win is in future. If uh, a horse trained by Charlie Appleman were to meet one trained by John Gosden or Bob Baffer or anyone really, using a principal statistical approach. And so what we do is we train our system to make predictions about what's going to happen in future with each trainer's runners. And that's how we come to our, our rankings. They're kind of a, a, an assessment of the sort of power, the dominance of a particular trainer. They take nothing, they don't take into account the, the quality of a trainer's stock uh, in the same way that, that a, a Grand Prix driver doesn't get debited for driving the fastest car necessarily. It's really that combination of efficiency and the volume at the, at the top level, weighted by how difficult these races are to, to win. So Appleby, for example, sending out three grade one winners in Canada and people saying, oh, they're, they're cheap grade ones. He is still credited for that, but the computer takes into account the relative ease of those grade ones to grade ones in Europe, for example. That, that's right. Yeah, it depends who you're competing against as well. That's another thing that racing stats don't take into account. When you talk about strike rates and things like that, it, it really does matter the strike rates of the other competitors in the same race. And of course, Charlie Apple is in the European theatre, where he's regularly up against some some very very smart operations. John and Thaddy Gosden, uh, Aidan O'Brien, um, increasingly William Haggis. Um, it's very difficult to win these races. Um, and he does so at a remarkable level. 29% strike rate in group and graded races in 2021. 26% over the last three years. And that really is good going. He's now won 33 group and grade ones in the last equivalent three-year period, counting back from today. Um, and that's gone the highest number that he's, he's had during his um, trajectory as a trainer. So he's getting, you could argue he's actually getting better. And that's what we... How we got to think about it when we go forward to 2022? It's 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 okay to look retrospectively at what a train has done, but the question is: is that look? How much of that is basically going to be um, enveloped by regression to the mean? You know, how how much is it just basically all the stars being aligned, everything being perfect for a trainer, and him taking advantage of perhaps a lull in some of the operations? Well, I would argue that that's not the case with Charlie Apple because I would argue now he's done it for two or three years, he's getting gradually better. And I just think that there are hallmarks of his training that you can think will persist. He's just very good at targeting big races around the world. And that's when a trainer really stands out. I think back to the 80s and 90s when Sir Michael Stout um, really sort of differentiated himself from his competitors on the global stage. He knew where to slot horses around the world. Increasingly, Luca Kamani, Dermot Weld, all those trainers have, have really... Kind of showed how good they are by meeting different challenges posed by different racing systems. Look at Appleby. He's dominated France. He's dominated Britain. He's won all the major races in Ireland and most of them under Aidan O'Brien's nose. And now he's, he's done it at the Breeders' Cup as well. What more can you ask? 
And the good news for him and those who follow him is that it's not as though his cupboard is bare as regards two-year-olds turning three, uh, because he's got all the best uh, of those as well and dominates the <laughs> list uh, um, for the guineas and the derby. So Charlie Appleby is TRC Global Rankings number one trainer of 2021. And if you're looking for young talent who might maintain their position at the head of uh, their list, I think that applies with the, with the jockey of the year as well, James. Yeah, well, let's think about what makes James McDonald, the Kiwi-born Australian jockey, so great. Now, obviously, it's getting on the right horses, instilling confidence in uh, trainers and owners that you, you can, you're the man to trust on the, on the big day. And we see that a lot of his success has come on horses like Very Elegant, Nature Strip, the top sprinter over there, Animo, the progressive two-year-old, three-year-old now, Zaki, as well. Animal Nisham's called on him. So, again, a top jockey can't come without the horses, but there's a circular effect, isn't there, where you get trusted with better rides, you prove your competency on those rides, you get more better rides. Now, for James McDonald, there's something more at play than this. If you haven't watched him regularly, you really should do, because you can pick James McDonald out in a race without actually knowing the colours. It's just because he gets horses to travel so well all the time. And in those Australian races, which have lilting paces a lot of the time, you have the first section typically being quite fast and a middle section that's a lull and then a sprint around the bend and into the home straight. It's not that easy to ride a waiting race. It's really a lot more difficult than in Europe. In Europe, you can just sit off the pace, wait for it to collapse, pick up the piece on our stiff, gallop in tracks late. Much more difficult in Australia. Jockey needs really sharp timing and needs to save ground and this guy is just the business and has been for a few years we've been writing on the site about how good he is even before he exceeded to uh, number one taking over Frankie de Torre's slot but we've talked about these jockey rankings before there's some really top-notch talent I would argue at the moment around the world uh, McDonald is number one Frankie de Torre number two William Buick is up to number three that's a career high for him he's my vote for potential world jockey of the year 2022 but for 2021 it's definitely james mcdonald and if you are a student of world racing and you have got some time on your hands this new year get some videos out just watch how he does it because it's like watching somebody that's just better at everything uh, something than everybody else so that's james mcdonald N not a massive surprise but i love hearing you articulate why he's he's at the number one spot and the fact that he's got on those three most identifiable Australian yeah. horses to the rest of the globe is clearly significant. The fact that he has the rides on very elegant nature strip and yeah. and let's hope that he comes to Europe next year with at least two of those three horses and shows yeah. us what he's made of because he's shown he can ride on, on European race courses before in his, in his brief time for Charlie Hills. And he's clearly got a great affinity with all the people and contacts he made over here as well, James. Yeah, we, what we, we talk about effect, Nick, don't we? When we look at the results and we talk about results and the exploits of humans and horses, we talk about the effects that we're observing. We're, we're observing an effect of them winning lots of races. So the second question for the analyst is, what's the cause of that effect? Is the cause simply that a jockey is going around on good horses? Or is it that the, cause, the jockey is actually adding something at the margin? to the chance of that horse winning the race. So what can a jockey do? He can say, he or she can save ground. He or she can adhere to the strictures of pace. He or she can have great timing in producing a horse just at the right time. 
But there's also some kind of intangible effect, getting horses to run for you, getting horses to really find that extra bit just when they need to do. McDonald has got the sort of the things that are necessary, the things that I talked about, the objective factors. He's also got that little bit of magic that you can't deny when you watch him regularly, Nick. And I think that talking about those factors, like you and I have done many times over the years, is what I find interesting. It's not just the numbers. The numbers kind of give you a framework to gauge the effects, but it's those causes that are the things we like to talk about. What is it that each trainer or jockey brings to the table that differentiates him or her? Um, would you like to tell me what Frankel <laughs> brings, <laughs> brings to the table? This is, this is quite a hard question to answer, even if you think he's the greatest racehorse, even if you know he's the greatest racehorse you've ever seen and is now taken into one of the greatest sires that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not expert enough genetically, nor in terms of uh, breeding, to actually evaluate <laughs> uh, how, how, what he actually does um, genetically. But obviously, in terms of the kind of, uh, the, the broader sweep of, of what Stallions do, being the best resource of all time, is probably a help when you try to get similar types to yourself. Uh, as is probably being by Galileo, I would say, uh, to some extent. Um, and Frankel has had a sensational year this year. Everybody knows that. And from a kind of, a, I'm trying to throw these things forward and make them more discussion points than, than bare statistics. The interesting thing was, the derby to me, wasn't it? It was that, that when you went, what, when you saw the, the pre-parade for the, the derby at Epsom this year, it, it wasn't just that his stock, ADR and Hurricane Lane kind of stood out, but they suddenly they, they had an aura of like, here, is, here are runners by a really top-notch progenitor. And Hurricane Lane might have gone close to winning had he not lost both front shoes in that particular race. ADR did win it under that magnificent Adam Kirby ride. And both horses progressed exceptionally well. Adair winning the King George, Hurricane Lane going on to win the, King, the uh, Grand Prix de Paris, um, and the Irish Derby, of course. Anderson and Ledger. Finishing. Anderson Ledger, yeah, I forget that. And finishing third in the arc after that. And um, these are kind of the Frankel sort of stereotypes, aren't they? The big sort of handsome horses that progress with racing, that have a dominance about them when they win physically they look the part as well which is important in instilling confidence in breeders not that that, that frankel needed to do that necessarily but in general that's that's a fair point and he's basically got everything you need what's interesting about his results here is that he was characterized as being too much of a of an influence of stamina wasn't he for a season or two and people wondered whether he could get quick horses not really the case around the world he's actually had quite a lot of success uh, in producing horses like Grenadier Guards, the top-notch uh, Japanese former two-year-old and now three-year-old. Uh, faster horses, Hungry Heart, the Australian mare that's won some good grade ones there. Uh, it's not really been a problem for him other than Europe. It's probably something to do with the way he's mated, and that's the bit where I referred to right at the start. It's kind of like the combination of, of bloodlines is what makes these stallion masters so good. Uh, in kind of finding mates for a stallion that really promote the way that it operates genetically. And I think maybe it's taken a while for Frankel to be sorted out in that regard. Maybe they thought he'd be more of an influence to speed than he's turned out to be. But now we're seeing that he can produce top-notch, world-class horses across the distance range. 
is it is it simple now for Frankel? He just dominates this year in year out, or is there a, a sting in the tail? Do you think from Dubawi with Karibas and Co coming through next year? I mean, is Frankel's position as number one now unchallengeable or not? No, definitely not. Definitely not because he's only number one in twenty twenty one, not based on twenty twenty one data. He's not one, number one overall. He's still number four overall based on all the data and above him of course are well three non-praise just about deep impact dubawi and galileo now two of those of course are deceased uh, still have got crops running around and will still um have a lot of success next few years uh, deep impact produced a really top-notch japanese juvenile the other day and it's got plenty of, uh, of runners still going galileo will have as well but yeah, I agree with you. I think it's not at all sure that Frankel can, can, can continue to beat Dubai. Now, Frankel was named sort of champion sire in, in Britain. And all that is based on prize money, which is heavily skewed to middle distance races and heavily skewed to certain races as well. It's not something I believe in as a measure of, uh, of, of objective merit. Um, but in terms of the way that we rank down, which I believe is an, a measure of objective talent, then I think it's not for certain that he can, he'll defeat Dubawi, he'll ever get past Dubawi. Um, he's also got uh, Kingman to worry about, his Jud Monty barnmate, if you will, who's on his tail, having had a, a very, very good year of his own and um, having lots of good horses running around in America as well, on sharp, fast ground over there. Um, it's really quite a vibrant scene uh, on turf in terms of stallions even though two of the the the, the all-time greats are no longer with us we have frankel kingman see the stars had a great year as well didn't he um and on dirt uh, we've seen into the mischief confirm his standing we've seen Tappet have a good year uncle mo's been doing well and the usual suspects like curlin have all been contributing over there um it i think it's been a great year um, in terms of bloodstock 2021. Uh, for sure, I would agree with that. Frankel is the top sire for the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings 2021. Um, let's talk about the... <laughs> I think I think you're bottling out here by giving a turf and a, <laughs> and a dirt horse yeah. of the year for, for yeah. 2021 because the beauty of these rankings and why I enjoy it every week is for you to tell me that X dirt horse is above Y turf horse or why yeah. turf horses above x dirt horse so go on you have to talk me through why you've split these up well people say you can't compare which is nonsense you can compare anything you want as long as you choose objective criteria you can you can compare an apple with a banana if you have the right criteria if you say which do i prefer more then you've got a ranking haven't you so whilst you need to do something more than what i prefer when you're ranking racehorses there are various things you can look at the number of starts the number of wins the uh, the, the peak form, the kind of average form. And we tried to do all that to produce principled, a principled ranking of horses by the criteria that we choose, which are listed on the site. Sometimes, however, it's very close. And in Nick's Go, whose Breeders' Cup classic form was the best piece of dirt form by far that we measured all year. And St. Mark's Basilica, who rose from an excellent two-year-old season to confirm himself probably the best horse in Europe. There are two horses that are quite hard to split. Now, in terms of our overall rankings, we prefer Nick's go because he had better form prior to this season. He'd been around a bit longer. He'd run 14 times in group races overall 
to St. Mark's Basilica 7. But St. Mark's Basilica's eclipse win, you go back to that, that is one of the most impressive victories that you are likely to see. People advanced um, excuses for the place tossers, but still, to win a group one in that style as he did, you don't see that very often. And those two horses in their different domains, I would argue, have been equally dominant in 2021. So we are going to bottle it, as you say, and we are going to award uh, <laughs> separate gongs. If there's a Japanese horse of the year, it might be even closer because Euphoria, Gran Allegria, and Contrail have all got claims on being the Japanese horse of the year. I suspect the title will go to Euphoria due to his recent Arima Kinnan win, not to mention his defeat of the two horses I've mentioned in the Tenno show. And it was he, lucky Euphoria, who produced the best piece of turf form in the world this year as we measure it in the aforementioned Tenno Show Autumn when he defeated the subsequent Japan Cup winner, Contrail, and the top-notch mayor, Gran Allegria, went on to win the mile championship for a second time. And that was just absolutely splendid form and a great race to watch on YouTube if you've not seen it. So some brilliant performances around the world. I haven't even mentioned Australia, where Nature Strip dominated the sprints. Very elegant, of course, showed that given a test of stamina, there aren't many horses in the world better than her. And we've got a lob in old Mishrif, essential quality. And then the risers, the fast risers during the campaign, Zaki. And then Life is Good, who's, um, I would say, who's Breeze Cup Dirt Mile, is, um, was a spectacularly exciting performance looking ahead to 2022. Golden 60 continued to dominate in. Um, uh, Hong Kong, and then we saw Palace Pier and Bayed vying for miling honours in Europe. That kind of wraps it up pretty nicely, I would say, for the for for the, the top horses around the world. And I can't wait to see all this lot back in action again yeah. when the season pops yeah. up again next year. Well, you're not going to have to wait too long because you might have put a ribbon on it, James, for um <laughs> for 2021. But you're going to have to untie <laughs> that ribbon in about three weeks' time. When- <laughs> Current world number one, Nick's go takes on life is good in the in the Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream Park. And then three weeks after that in the Saudi Cup, you've got Mishrif and his pals and, and he'll be tested by some good American horses. So uh, there, there could be a, a fair shake up in this in this top 10 fairly quickly. It's a 365 year rolling uh, picture, isn't it? And that's the way we do it as well. Rather than waiting to produce rankings or ratings at the end of the year, our ratings on thoroughbredracing.com constantly update every week and we look back at the last year as if it were a championship window if you will there's all sorts of talent to look forward to i won't list it all here uh, but that's reflected in you and if you go onto our site you can find all those top horses trainers jockeys and size ranked and with click-throughs you can examine their form look at what the computer has rated them and you can rest assured that there's no human meddling involved in any of these processes we don't arrange the trainers in a way that suits us it's all done automatically by our system, which sits in the cloud and updates it, the uh, rankings every week on a Tuesday morning. Well, James, Thoroughbred Racing Commentary, global rankings, as you say, combine volume with efficiency. Uh, this podcast manages the former. I'll leave it to you to decide whether it can ever, <laughs> can ever, attain, ever attain the latter. Thanks for all your, all your contributions this year. Um, the highlight of my week um, on a regular basis. Thanks so much. Oh, oh thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, thanks to James and indeed to all my guests today and, of course, to, to all my guests who've contributed to the show during the course of the year, of whom Rishi Passad has been right at the top of the list. Uh, Rish, your big hopes for 2022. Who's going to break through? Who's going to hit the headlines, either human or equine? 
Uh, Lucky, can I be a little bit self-indulgent here, if well, you don't I, mind? I mean, why break? No, I, I can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> you, you, you know, you've, you, you've taken the mickey out of me enough times on this podcast about whenever I, I tip a Sir Michael Stavros, don't you? you? You do that to me. But I enjoy it. I have no shame in saying you're not, that. You're not, Sir, Sir you're, Ma- not, you're not teeing up Sir Michael Stout as one to watch for 2022. No, not, not Sir Michael Stout so much, but one of his horses. Uh, he's got a horse called Desert Crown. He's only run once uh, as a two-year-old. He's a son of Nathaniel. He could potentially be a Derby horse, but he absolutely bolted up at Nottingham. And nothing would give me more pleasure in 2022 than to see Sir Michael with a Derby contender. And that's my big hope for 2022. I really hope that we can uh, indulge in that uh, one more time. Um, are there any people that you think we're going to be hearing a lot more of in the next few months? I think we'll be hearing a lot more of, on a personal level, I think Brendan Powell has made significant strides. I think that relationship with Colin Tizard uh, has been great for him. And just watching the way he rides at the moment, um, it, he, he's grown in confidence enormously. And I think that he's got the ability now and he's getting the opportunities now to emerge uh, and fulfil the potential that he showed a long time ago. Things went slightly awry for him, but I feel that he's back on the right track. And I'm hoping that he has an excellent spring and the Tizard horses continue to to flourish. And I think that would really go well uh, for a rider who's always promised to be talented uh, and is now finally living up to that. Have you got a tip for me for today? Uh, I haven't got a tip for today, but can I give you one for Cheltenham on New Year's Day, please? Yes, definitely. I'm going to give you a mare called the Glancing Queen running in the, the Dipper or the Paddy Power Novices Chase. I love her. Uh, and I've loved what she's done in two runs over fences so far. And I think she's got a big chance to win that. Okay. Uh, good luck to Rishi tomorrow at Cheltenham. And if you're going, one of the, the 30,000 people, Rish, going to Cheltenham tomorrow. So I'm told in the Racing Post today. Good news. Well, very good news, I guess. And Yes. Unless you're queuing to get in, I suppose. But yes, very good news. <laughs> Or if you haven't got a COVID pass or a negative lateral flow test, it might be awkward. Yes, indeed so. Um, But enjoy Cheltenham tomorrow if you want. Happy New Year. Very happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody. And we will be back again on Monday morning. See you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.